don't know how many of you have ever built a house, but imagine someone sets out to build a home. And they, they go through all the work of drawing up the plans and getting the architectural drawings. They dream about it. They, they go through and they work out every detail about this home they want to build. And then they go and they hire a contractor to pour the foundation. And the contractor pours the foundation perfectly according to the plans. It gets everything in place the right way. And then they go out and get another contractor to come and build the home. And imagine that contractor shows up, doesn't look at the plans, barely even looks at the foundation and just starts building according to what he feels like building. You know, standing on this side, I feel like doing this. I feel like putting the bathroom over there, even though the foundation had the plumbing cutouts here. I feel like putting this and just does whatever they want. What is that house gonna look like when it's done? Jesus commissioned us to build his church. He laid the foundation. He gave us the blueprint. And now it's up to us to follow this foundation and build according to what he has established for us. And every new year we start for these last few years by stepping back and again looking at that foundation, looking at our foundation and saying, are we on it right? Are we square with it? Are we building the right way on the foundation that Jesus gave us. Because what we're building here together requires constant and careful attention to our foundation so that we don't build it wrong. All kinds of challenges are gonna come to knock us off our foundation. Pandemics will come. Financial trouble will come. Personal failures will come to try and knock us off our foundation. And we've got a clear guide, though, as long as we keep looking to what Jesus has given us. We have a clear guide to help us stay on track, get back on track, and make sure that we're building in a way that stays anchored to the foundation so we don't get wobbly. I don't want a wobbly church. I want a church that'll build tall and strong and wide and bring in as many people as possible. I always picture what Jesus said about in, in my father's house are many rooms and you know we picture mansions and cloudy heavenly places. No, what Jesus was picturing in that moment when he said it, he was standing in Capernaum and he was standing at the temple area and I, I've been there and I've stood there and I've looked out and seen all the different houses built together. They share walls and they're all interwoven. So like for you know, hundreds of yards wide, all these homes are all connected with many rooms. And the, the foundations, you can still see are there. And just, I see that wide, expansive connection of walls. And I think this is what Jesus has established for us. And we need to make sure we keep building on it and building on it until it's reached as many people as can be reached and gone as high as it can go. That's what we're trying to do. And that's what this month is about. We're gonna focus on five particular aspects of our foundation and talk about them each week, starting today with scripture. So let me remind you here at the beginning what it is that we say about scripture. It's on the wall out there. And here's what we say. We say that we believe God's word should shape our lives. You know, I don't do this very often, but let's say that together. We believe God's word should shape our lives. And look, I want you to pause just for a moment, if you need to close your eyes so you don't get distracted, and I want you to think about all the things that are shaping your life right now, maybe this past year. Just begin to think about the things that have shaped your life and influenced your life.
work, school, parents, teachers, friends, colleagues, bosses, books you've read, podcasts you've listened to, the news you watch, the social media that you spend way too much time on. Think, think about all the things that influence and shape your life. We believe God's word should shape our lives. What that means is that we believe God's word should have ultimate authority over our lives more than any other voice out there. And, and that's a huge statement. Like it, I, I said it, God's word should have supreme authority over our lives. And I know if I were to ask you one by one, you'd all say, yeah, I, I agree with that. Of course, but does it? Does it? And what does it even mean that scripture has authority over our lives? I'm not sure, I'm not convinced that we understand what that means when we say it. Because I think we've got skewed ideas about authority. We've got some confusion about what authority actually is. And so when we say that scripture has authority over our lives, what does that mean? Does that mean we should eat kosher? Does that mean we should wear robes? What does it mean? What authority does scripture have? And in what way does scripture have authority to shape your life and my life? What do we mean by that? So let's talk about authority a little bit. What does it mean that someone or something has authority over you? At the base level, it means they tell you what to do and you do it. Right? Someone has authority over me, they tell me what to do, I do it. They tell me to jump, I say how high. They tell me they need the TPS reports by the afternoon, I give them the TPS reports by the afternoon. You do what you're told. That's the base level of authority that most people operate under. But it's an immature understanding of authority. It's a, a basic level of authority, and yet that's the one that dominates most of our thinking about authority and what it means. I get, if I have authority, I get to tell you what to do and you have to do it. If you have authority, you get to tell me what to do and I have to do it. And that base level of authority makes sense when you have like parent-child relationship, right? A parent has to tell the child, don't walk in the street. Don't touch the hot stove. Wear pants, right? You've got to tell kids every little detail about brush your teeth, no, don't use the toilet brush to brush your teeth. Use the toothbrush. No, not so. Put toothpaste on it, right? Every little detail. As a parent, how many of you have ever felt overwhelmed by how much detail you have to go into with kids? And that can be soul-crushing sometimes. It's like, why can't I just tell them, would you just go take care of yourself? Go take a bath and not have to walk in and find the bathroom torn to shreds Right? Have you ever felt that way? This kind of authority that has to control every detail is soul-crushing for the person who's trying to exercise it and for the person who's suffering under it. It's a rudimentary understanding of authority. And that's why people rebel against it all the time. And, and that's why people resist any idea that someone else is telling them what to do, whether it's a boss or the government or anyone else. We think of authority in this simplistic and childish way. We think that our goal in life is to be our own boss so that no one else will tell us what to do. We get to do whatever we want, and we call that freedom. And then we come along and we say, Scripture has ultimate authority over our lives. And we bring to that our worldly, childish understandings of authority and what it means. 
And of course then, people begin to get the idea that the Bible is just a rule book that's trying to contain us and, and make us behave in certain ways. Of course, people then get the idea that Scripture is soul-crushing, that it's just a tool used like a hammer to get people to stay in line so that people who have authority can use it to make people do what they want and behave in, in the moral, ethical ways or the tradition ways that they have. Of course, people begin to see it that way. At some point, we've got to develop a more mature understanding in relationship with authority. At some point, instead of adopting the world's ideas and, and their skewed relationship with authority, we've got to go to Scripture itself and get our understanding of what authority is and how authority authority acts and how authority shapes our lives. Then we'll understand what we mean when we say we believe scripture, God's word, should shape our lives. And so let's dig in a little bit because I've seen so many people treat the Bible like it's a magic book, right? That just floated down from the heavens and landed in front of us and it has all the magical rules that God wants us to have and if we do those things, we get to go into heaven one day. I'm amazed at how many people think of it that way and that's not what scripture is at all. And then, of course, you know, everyone starts to fight over about what it actually says and means and what those rules are. Let's understand what the Bible says about authority and what it means when we say God's word has authority. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says this. For the word of God is alive, and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now remember, when the author of Hebrews wrote this, he wasn't holding a Bible so when he says the word of God is alive and active, he's not talking about some book. He's talking about God's communications, God's revelations of himself through people in particular places and times. He's saying God is the one who has power and authority. God is the one who can see everything clearly, who can see to the bone, see to the marrow, and see to everything going on in your heart and actually is the one who is capable of judging. God is the one who has the ability to see all, and so God is the one who has authority. So any authority the scriptures have is derived from God, not because it's a magic book that floated from the heavens, but because it's God speaking and it's recording what God has done and said. We can't ever forget that. Any authority scripture has is derived from God. The Bible has no authority on its own. It is derived from God. And let's go on and remember the very beginning of the Bible. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light and God said, let there be atmosphere and there was atmosphere and God said, let there be separation between land and water and there was and God said, let there be vegetation and God said, let there be lights to separate day and night and God said, let there be fish and birds and God said, let there be animals and God said, let us make men in our image what is Genesis trying to tell us? All this organization of creation and all that brings it about was done by the authority of God. He spoke and it was. This isn't about how in regard to methods. This is about how in regards to cause. 
God has the authority to speak, and in speaking, he causes things to exist and to come into order. God is the one with the authority. John's gospel picks this up in the very beginning and, and models Genesis 1 and takes it a step further. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Long before anyone started talking about the Bible, the book that we carry around or look at on our phones and devices as the word of God, it was clearly understood that God's word had power and authority and that Jesus was the embodiment of God's word. I want you to see the connection because we can't separate the Bible as its own entity apart from God and the revelation of himself. All authority is derived from God himself. Whatever authority scripture has over our lives is derived from God's authority. Scripture has authority because it communicates God's character and his purposes by telling us God's story. And when we look at scripture, what we see is not some magic list of rules and codes set out in black and white, but rather what we see is God speaking in messy ways through particular people in particular times and places in ways that express his purpose and his way and his character and his kingdom priorities and his goals. That's what we find in scripture. We see God in the beginning reveal himself and his purposes and then commission Adam and Eve to come along and, and follow him and be shaped by his authority. And when they fail, God doesn't give up. God finds Abraham, another person willing to be shaped by his authority. And he finds Moses, another person willing to be shaped by his authority. He creates the nation of Israel and they vacillate back and forth, sometimes allowing God's authority to shape them, other times having other things shape them until finally God himself steps into this world through his son, Jesus and in Jesus, God becomes like one of us. And Jesus obeys the Father, is shaped by his authority, submits to the Father's authority, the Father's agenda, and all that God's been doing that we've seen throughout Scripture. It all leads to Jesus and what he does. And then he suffers and he dies so that you and I can be transformed and begin to be shaped by God's authority through Scripture. And in, in as much as Scriptures communicate all of this, and communicate who God is and what he's done and how God has exercised his authority throughout time and space, they are reliable and authoritative to shape our lives because they reflect God's authority. That's why we say God's word should shape our lives. And they, it does it through the stories of men and women like you and me, through their interactions with God. God uses people like us to communicate his character and goals and his mission so that we will then willingly choose to submit and be shaped by his character and his goals and his mission. That's how God exercises his authority. Not by forcing us into coffin boxes to contain us and make us just do what's right, 
but by setting for us examples that we can read and ingest and follow. It always amazes me. It amazes me and breaks my heart to hear people talk about the Bible as though it's just some rule book that's got a bunch of rules that you obey if you're a good person so you get to heaven when you die. So that when you stand before Peter at the pearly gates, he says, oh yeah, you're on the list because you did the good things that the rule book said you should do. And so many people think of scripture that way and it breaks my heart. It's like saying that football is about 22 guys going out onto a field and doing their very best to keep the 241 page NFL rule book for an hour. Like that's what football is. It's just a bunch of guys trying to follow a bunch of rules for an hour. That's not what football is. Have you ever watched it? It's alive. It's active. It's full of energy and passion and pain and struggle. I know that's a very, you know, me analogy, but I hope it makes sense to you too. The Bible only sometimes, sometimes sets out rules and commands for specific things that we are expected to do. And when it does, those rules and those commands come in the context of something larger God is doing. They come in the context of God communicating who he is and what love does. And so God says, I want you to love your spouse. Do not commit adultery. I want you to love your neighbor. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not murder. I want you to love justice. Do not bear false witness. Do you see how that works? These aren't just random rules. They communicate what love does. They communicate who God is, how his ways work. This is what it is. And if scripture is going to have authority in our lives, if it's going to shape us, then we've got to understand how that authority works. That it isn't just a cold, hard set of Rules in black and white meant to box us in and control us and rein us in. That instead it's alive and active and capable of piercing to the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Knowing me in ways that I barely even know myself. That it's active and capable of doing those things. And that God's authority stands behind all of the stories and the things we read in scripture. And that God's authority shines through Every encounter we read in this book and God's authority operates in a way that invites us to join the story and follow the examples and work it out in a way that honors who he is as he has shown us through scripture. I want to give you a picture of this, a model that I didn't come up with it. I'm not smart enough. You'll know right away. There's no way I would be smart enough to come up with this. Um, it's something I read, something that N.T. Wright, who I refer to quite often. He's someone I respect highly in regards to his devotion to Christ and Scripture. And this is just an analogy. This is a model that he gives to help us hopefully have a clearer understanding of Scripture and how it should function in our lives so that we maybe step away from this childish kind of way of thinking of it as just the rule book that I better keep to something that's much more alive, much more active, that draws us in in a much more passionate way. And so here's the example. Uh, how many of you know who Shakespeare is? It's amazing because pretty much everyone here does, um, even though, like, when did he write his plays? 1500. So we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And still today, we know if I say Macbeth or Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet or A Midsummer Night's Dream or The Tempest or The Taming of the Shrew, I mean, we can name, there's just uh, tons of plays that have marked us and they still have Shakespeare theaters around our world today where people perform these plays every day. And many of the movies that you've grown to love over your lifetime, they've taken their plots from Shakespeare. 
incredible influence on our world. Imagine, imagine that they, they found a previously undiscovered Shakespeare play. Only all they were able to recover was the first four acts and the first scene or so of the fifth act. They didn't have the whole thing, but everyone read it. All the experts read it. And just based on those first four acts and the very beginning of the fifth, they were just convinced this was the best thing he'd ever done. And it had to be performed. It had to be put out there. But what do you do? How do you, how do you wrap it up? You, can't, you need a fifth act. You need some closure. How do you do that? And no one wants to step forward and be the person who tries to write the final act. Like, I'll do it. No, this is incredibly difficult and, and complex. And so imagine what they do is they take the actors and they give them their roles and they immerse themselves in those first four acts in the beginning of that fifth one. They immerse themselves in the plot lines and the themes and the threads that weave through. They immerse themselves in their characters. And then they're set loose to just go improvise that fifth act based on everything that's come before. And if they step out of line, if they do something that's out of keeping with their first four acts, no, that doesn't match what's come before. But they're not expected to just regurgitate the same lines just in maybe different orders. They're not expected to just repeat act two for act five. They're expected to take it and live it out in a living way, in a passionate way, to embody it. Those first four acts become authoritative, not because they're a list of rules. And those actors are responsible to dig in and spend time ingesting all of it so that they can walk out and do that. They're responsible not for regurgitating lines. They're responsible to go out and act with creative consistency you could see how that might apply to us and the story we're living out, the story of Scripture. If Act 1 is the creation and the calling of Adam and Eve, and then Act 2 is the fall and the descent into chaos, and then Act 3 is the rise and fall of Israel, and then Act 4 is the triumph of Jesus, and then Act 5 begins with the church and the book of Acts and the, God, the epistles we have there in the New Testament. But it isn't complete yet. It needs to be completed. We have only the first scene. And so the Bible isn't there to command us to just repeat what came before. We're supposed to take what has come before, to ingest it, to build on it, to continue it in keeping with what God has done throughout history, how God has shown himself and revealed his character throughout history from the very beginning. That's our relationship with Scripture. Do you, have you ever thought of it that way? That your relationship with the Bible is not to go find some motivation for the day, some inspiration just for the day, something that'll speak to your life and your situation for the moment, but to enter the story and come alive in it and participate in it and extend it out. We're not meant to be and live as first century Jews. We're not meant to live as B.C. Israel we're meant to take all that's come before how God has revealed himself and let that authoritatively shape the way we live and act today in 21st century Massachusetts. But guess what? Just like kids who only read the cliff notes of Shakespeare don't really do well in Shakespeare classes, if we're just reading the cliff notes of the Bible, just listening to me talk about it for an hour or so each week or never reading it at all, 
then how will you and I ever be shaped by this story? We can't be shaped by something we never interact with. We can't be shaped by God's authority if we won't pick up God's word where he has expressed himself and expressed his authority, expressed his character in authoritative ways. He can't touch our lives if we won't touch it. The Bible is so essential to God's story that those who take up following, take following Jesus seriously couldn't imagine not immersing themselves in God's word constantly to make sure that we're living out and contributing to this story in ways that honor what God has done and who, what God has communicated. We couldn't imagine doing that because when we do, we know, okay, now I know how to live. Now I know my place in the story. Now I, I have passion and vision and I know where I'm going. You can't live the Christian life without bathing in scripture so that we know what God has done and what he's doing and what he's like without bathing in the Psalms so we know the pain and how to take our pain to God or take our joy and our celebrations to God without bathing in the prophets to understand what it means to stand up for God, without bathing in the illumination of the gospels or bathing in the challenges of the epistles. If we're not doing that, then we're just writing some other story. We're building some house willy-nilly on and not getting it on the foundation, which is what we're often tempted to do when we read scripture. We're tempted to try and read scripture into our stories instead of finding our place in God's story. We're tempted to shrink scripture down into a rule book that'll help us enforce and keep the traditions we want to keep. We're tempted to try and shrink scripture down to fit our stories and our problems and our situations. We turn to it to find a word about something that we're going through today, right now, in this moment. And in doing so, we shrink it down to fit our small story, and we only become smaller ourselves, I want you to understand that today and see it. As soon as we start pulling it down and just shrinking it to fit our story, we become smaller and it becomes smaller. We cheapen it. And does that mean that we can't find comfort in Scripture? No, of course it doesn't mean that. It just means that Scripture, shrunk to fit your story, becomes so small that it's no real comfort at all. Oh God, you know, will you get me out of this trouble I'm in because God's going to do it because he said this to that person there or to Israel there. And then what happens when God's purpose for you is not the same as it was for them there. He wants you to go through what you're going through and now you're disillusioned because you were trying to shrink God's story to fit what your moment was instead of allowing God's story to draw you out and expand you into it. Now you're broken. You're thinking God's word failed you because it didn't fit your story. And that's why so many people give up on reading scripture on reading the Bible. It doesn't work when you try to shrink it to your story. But here's what I believe is true with all of my heart. You will find more peace and comfort when you find your place in God's story than you ever will by trying to force the Bible into your story. Let me say that again. I believe this with all my heart. All the peace and the comfort that you want right now for the things going on in your life, you will never find more peace and comfort than you will when you allow God's story to pull you into it and expand you, finding your place in God's story. That's where you'll find real peace and real comfort, not by shrinking it to fit your situation. God will draw you out and make you bigger than the situation you're in. God will bring you above the situation you're in if you will allow God's story to pull you up out 
beyond and expand you. That's what God's word wants to do. That's what God's authoritative word does. That's how it shapes us. Not by squeezing and getting smaller for us. So we manipulate it to fit our particular need at the moment. To make it say what we want it to say. To make us feel good at any given moment. But instead, I ingest it and I immerse myself in it so I can understand what it's saying. And I can enter that story and now I find myself getting bigger. And I find those other things that were troubling me so much getting smaller because I'm becoming like him. Does that make sense? Can you see that? Can you feel that? That's what we're talking about. That's our goal. We refuse to shrink scripture down to fit our stories. Instead, we believe God's word should shape our lives. That's our goal as a church. And and the the benefits we have and the advantage, because now, okay, how are we going to do that? How do we do that? You know, one, first of all, we are blessed to have the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. It's, we have God's presence walking alongside of us to help us ingest and understand God's word and then live it out. Praise God for that, that incredible gift. And so every time you sit down to read scripture, pray, Father, please fill me with your spirit. Holy Spirit, come and open my eyes to see where you want to speak to me, how I can enter your story and I can be expanded by this. Show me. Pray that every time. But the other advantage we have, the other blessing we have is each other. And for each of these things we talk about these next few weeks, we're going to focus on to end each week how we need to do this together. I'm not sending you out there to go read the Bible more on your own. I mean, please do. But we need to walk out of here today committed to reading scripture more together so we can wrestle with it together. Every week, every Tuesday morning for a couple hours, I sit down with a group of other pastors and friends and we wrestle with God's word together. And we challenge each other some of, sometimes, you know, one of us will bring an idea or a thought. We'll say, well, I think, you know, this is what this passage is saying it means. And another of us will say, I think you had too much coffee today. Or I think maybe you're personalizing that or you're reading something into it that isn't there. And we'll challenge each other. We'll wrestle with it because we want to know what is God saying here to the people God's speaking to in this moment. And then how does that apply to us? We, we, and so every week I get together with these people who I cherish deeply. And we, we challenge each other. We wrestle together with God's word because God's word is not always easy to understand. It's not easy to cross that gap sometimes in the divide between now and 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago. The different moments in time that we get to glimpse God interacting with people. We gotta work at it. I work at it. You work at it too. Because when we do that and when we do it together, which is the way it's meant to be done, that's when we help sharpen each other. That's when we help check each other and make sure we're not shrinking scripture down to fit me, but actually instead being drawn out into the bigger story of scripture. I cherish that group. Doing this together is so important. And there's never been better tools than there are today for that. For example, if you go to just simple Bible.com, most of you know how to use the web. Right? Go to Bible.com or on your phone, download the app version. It is filled with Bible reading plans. So I went and pulled it up yesterday, and here's what I found. I don't know if you'll be able to see that. Those of you at home who are seeing this, you can tell. I, I opened Bible.com on my computer, and Annie DaCosta popped up. She's one of our deacons, and he told me, hey, Annie did her January 1st reading today. I'm like, all right, good job, Annie. 
She's already, and then I could actually go back and see like all the different daily readings she'd been doing. You can, with friends, get on that app and you can share a reading plan and you can talk as you're going through it. You can chat with each other and say, here's what I'm, here's what I'm learning. Here's what God's saying to me through this. Here's how God's drawing me and expanding me into his story today in this. And you can, like, when have you ever been able to do that before? These last few years, all of a sudden it's become so easy Instead of spending your time on the garbage on Facebook and TikTok and YouTube and all that stuff, why not pick up your phone, delete those stupid apps? I know I'm being mean, but I don't care. They're stupid and they don't bring life, they bring death. And I've seen too much of it and I'm sick of it. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you today, whether you're sitting here or watching this at home or some other time, Download this app, get together with your friends and chat about God's story and how we can fit into it and see how that doesn't transform your life. See how that doesn't keep you from being depressed and bitter because you're listening to all that news that's coming through your Facebook feed or you're looking at all the amazing life all these other people have on Instagram. Please, let's see God. (laughs) There's no better place to look to find life. Get rid of that other stuff. So you could do that together with friends. Just download that, connect up with friends, and do that together. Then there's resources that I just, I can't believe. Uh, as a pastor, I'm so glad they're there. Go to another website, bibleproject.com. And actually, they've got an app, too, called The Bible Project, which is filled with readings and classes and things you can do together. In our life groups, we've used a lot of their videos to help us understand. I've even played clips here to help us understand different books of the Bible. They've got on their website, Bible studies you can do in your small groups or with a group of friends or as a family. And so you just go to thebibleproject.com and you can take that and you can do these studies with your family and they've got incredible videos that make things clear and help you understand what's going on in God's word and help you talk about it. And then in, in just you know, a few weeks here coming up, we're gonna launch into life groups at the end of this month. And that is the place where we as a church, I mean, I love these moments, but life groups are where we get to really dig into God's story and ask God to expand us out. That's what life groups are about. So listen to me, those of you who are in life groups, listen, stop wasting time in your life group talking about vaccines or politics or pandemics or the hangnail you got this week or, you know, finding a good laundromat or whatever else. You know, fine to talk about a little bit of your life, but why would you waste your time talking about the nonsense of this world when you could be spending your time digging into God's word and discovering your place in God's story and having it expand you? We need to be connecting in our life groups, but I'm challenging you, everyone, get into a life group, and those of you who are in a life group, don't waste it. Don't squander that time talking about nonsense. Don't waste that time trying to fit God's story into your little stories and the things you're worried about today. Let God's story pull you out and expand you. Wrestle with God's story together. Talk about how to live it out. Talk about how we can see ourselves as a continuation of this story so that the Bible isn't some book about things that happened, but we're living as a continuation of what God is doing and of God's story, and so it's shaping us. That's our goal. That's what we want for God's word. That's what Jesus wanted for us. That's what Jesus called us to do, to continue the story. 
on the night that he was betrayed and crucified and tried and all that stuff leading to his crucifixion, Jesus gave his disciples a new command. These are the kind of commands we find in scripture. He said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And then Jesus went and laid down his life for them. That's how God exercises authority. He shows us the way. And he calls us out to follow him in that story.